I used to throw up whenever I was overwhelmed with anxiety. But when that was happening, I didn't have the words for what anxiety was. I was three or four. It started when I was in nursery school at the YMCA. I didn't like being around people. There was a pool in the YMCA, and once a week we would go swimming, and I was terrified of swimming. So, especially those days, I was uh, prone to throwing up, to disrupting the class, to causing a scene, scenes of tiny children disgusted with me, frustrated teachers, and a lot of emptiness because nobody seemed to know what to do with me. Was it for attention? Was it to be disruptive? But I would sit and cry. I would just sit and cry. I remember this one instance, and I brought this up in therapy when we were creating the trauma timeline for EMDR. I talked about, must have been a Friday, a swim day, and we had to go down the stairs to the swimming pool. And I just couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. The feeling of the anxiety of being so overwhelmed was so, it just, it, it was all consuming that while I, we as a class lined up to go down the stairs, I threw up all over the stairs. It was a tile lined staircase, small, narrow, only, you know, single file line down, in and out, just no space. And I remember the screams from the other kids when the smell of vomit hit, hit them. And I remember sitting on the stairs and crying. And I remember being yelled at by the teachers, frustrated with this scenario that had played out again and again. It didn't take long after that for the teachers to speak with my mom about my behavior, about these issues. And instead of being comforted, I was removed from preschool. I actually have a friend to this day <laughs> who was in preschool with me who remembers this because <laughs> she remembers her like being traumatized by that whole event. But what she also lets me know is that the teachers were mean she remembers being pushed and pulled on and tugged at by these teachers whenever the kids weren't agreeable and what do you expect three and four year olds to listen do you expect that <laughs> it's funny because now i'm a mother of myself <clears throat> and um i have a four-year-old and I have these flashbacks of when I bring him to school and he's not, and I can tell he just doesn't want to go. He just doesn't want to do it that day. And I try not to see me in him because I know that we're different and he's his own person. But there are times I can't separate that feeling and I leave upset because he wasn't that agreeable going in. But I do know that we're different. We're not the same people. My son 
is the most social person I have ever met and has forced me in against my better judgment to be more social for his benefit too. But I remember telling my therapist this story and her acknowledging, her letting me know that it wasn't my fault that there should have been an adult there to let me know that it was okay. But I went a good, actually I'd say the majority of my life with these feelings being overwhelmed, being nauseous, constant tunnel vision, just overwhelmed with everything. In second grade, I cried every day. Most days I cried every day. And I had a teacher send me to the nurse because I was a distraction. I would go to the nurse and I would sit there until I felt a little bit better. Sometimes she would let me call my mom. And my mom would, you know, talk me off of this ledge that this sad second grader (laughs) constantly was looking over and I would wait until I felt a little bit better and I don't know exactly what was triggering these feelings I just couldn't control them I couldn't focus well in class I couldn't understand how to communicate and play with my peers I've had few friendships over the years and when I hold on when I make a friendship I hold on I hold on too tight (laughs) because the effort that goes into making a friendship takes so much out of me and the thing is I never saw my parents have friends I remember in high school just being frustrated with my situation and I went to my mom and I'm like I just need new friends like how do I make new friends And making friends in school didn't seem possible at that point. Not when you're, you know, 14, 15. It's like the cliques were already made. The groups were already set. And there was no crossing lines. And my mom just said, well, you just go make friends. My dad offered nothing. And I left more frustrated than going into that question. So to this day, I still have those same friends, which is such a privilege at this point to have friends that span your entire life. And if it wasn't for them, it's such um, a huge distinction that I see when I look at my brother's life or what Sky's life was like. Like, I held on tight to the people that knew me best. My brother and sister never formed such friendships. Never. Later in life, Skye found some friends in college. And I'm sure they meant the world to her. It was the first time I remember seeing her open up and grow there was like a an unprompted smile that was just on her face whenever I saw her 
But I also don't know how well they knew her. I don't know how well she knew herself. I wish she was around so we could talk about our childhood. So I could better understand, you know, what she was feeling, what she needed, and what wasn't provided to her. Because I know that my parents did the best that they could. But there were emotional needs that just were not met. And something I want to make clear is that when I went and have been going to therapy and trying to get help, I don't place blame on anybody. You can have a duality. You can be angry with certain aspects of your life and the people that were there or not there. You can be angry about that. But you can also still love them. You can and have to live with that kind of duality. It can be both. I don't understand the need <laughs> or the desire to be labeled, um, to fit into certain categories or you know, labels. It just it leaves you pretty shallow, if I'm in my opinion. Because there's depth to relationships. And some will grow, some will deepen, and some will fade. And there will be, if you have somebody that is with you for years, relationships, all relationships will go through different phases. And it's expected. And you can't be mad when people grow and when people need to change. So going back <laughs> to my issues <laughs> early on with extreme anxieties and the physical feeling of, you know, needing to throw up and the tunnel vision, the unfocused behavior when I talked about this in EMDR, I actually scored this probably higher than Sky's disappearance. I scored it at like an eight. And I think about it all the time. But I've given it space because you need to. Even if you don't understand entirely why you felt that way and what was going on. Because I can't really place what would make me have felt that way as a three-year-old. But I remember the feelings. And I remember the intensity. That intensity has never left me. But that fear was so consuming, more so than anything else. 
But as I went through school, I had adopted methods, basically due to the shame of that kind of behavior, of the crying, of the throwing up, just because I couldn't not be afraid. I learned to control it, and I learned to blend in and hide and fade away. I did really good in school. I did really good once I figured out how to work within the system. I would go into class, I would see homework written on the board, and that's what I would do. I would take the time that was given to me in class and look ahead, read ahead, look to the back of the chapter, read all the questions that were being asked of me, and then I knew where to how, knew how and where to find the answers. You look for bold word, bo- words in bold, and you look for key words and phrases. I would take snapshots of, in my mind of what the pages were and how the books were formatted. And I never missed a homework assignment. <laughs> but the truth is, I also never listened in class. I was able to pass all the tests because I understood the format and the formula. And I competed with myself. And I would reward myself with an A. And if I didn't get an A, that would be fine, but I would figure out a way to get an A. And I'd figure out, and I would use that feeling of success and then pair it with a successful day that I didn't cry. And I used that same emotion. And I learned how to self-soothe and cope. I learned this early on. It was probably third or fourth grade when I learned how to, I guess, gamify school. And I did really good because I taught myself. (laughs) But unfortunately, what this did... (laughs) What this did, learning how to just skirt the rules and work within the system, or kind of beat it, you you force yourself to just kind of fade away, because you're doing good. You're not disrupting the class. You're, you look like you're smart. <laughs> And maybe it is smart. I don't know. I think the verdict's still out. (laughs) But it helped me change my focus, shift it off of how I was feeling constantly, and it gave me purpose to see where I was going. But the truth is, it was an avoidance tactic. I still felt that way. I still felt overwhelmed with anxiety when things were shifted, when something came up that was unexpected. Sometimes the unexpected and the chaos was a place where I thrived because I was on, I could focus. But when things were shifted just slightly, not in a way that I wanted, it caused the disruption and the anxiety flooded in. 
But I learned. I learned to cope with that. And I would cry sometimes in secret when I was overwhelmed. Careful not to let teachers or other students know because I just didn't want the focus on me. I didn't want that feeling amplified. I was in control and I had to be the one to make it better because I already knew that nobody else was going to be there for me in the way that I needed. I learned that early on as a three-year-old in preschool. And something that I think about a lot too, being a mom and going through those experiences and having really, really intense, unregulated feelings at that age, I'm very careful of how I approach my own son. Because if I can remember what happened to me as a child, I know he's fully aware of what's happening to him now. And I trust him. I trust him in a way that I wish somebody trusted me. I think that's the best I can do. You trust and you give space to the people you love. You let them feel and you let them be and you encourage them to speak to you. You teach them the words that they need to know. But you hold back when they're not ready either. So as I discussed this preschool situation with my therapist, she had me meditate on it, had me picture myself as a child, as that child, and then also me as an adult, and what I would do for that child had I been there. And we spent time there. We sat in it. And I felt those feelings again. But with all the time that has passed and all the other experiences that I have lived through, I was able to focus and gain control and take that little girl out of that situation. Eventually, when we talked about the level of the intensity of the feelings that I felt in that moment with me as a little girl on those stairs, throwing up, (laughs) being scared to swim, being scared of everything. I was asked how I felt about it after sitting in it, after letting those feelings wash over me and absorbing it and crying about it. And then I gave it a three. Because it's never not going to be gone. Every feeling has to have an origin story, and I'm still learning the origins of some of my my feelings. 
But I learned that I could help myself. I learned that I could help a younger version of myself too. And that helped. I can't control or change the past or the intensity in which I felt all of my feelings and fears. But I can live with them. And I will live with them. Because it's me. And there's nothing wrong with that. This, this is therapy notes, session two.